A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. I'm Cindy Adams, the same Cindy Adams who does the column in the New York Post. I do this broadcast every Sunday on WABC from 1 to 2. Usually, I do some scintillating, semi-brilliant interview. And I will. But for right now, you've possibly heard about Ron Howard's four-episode documentary on me that's running right now. Although it's streaming, part three is tonight, 8 p.m., on Showtime. If you watch it and like it, I'm grateful. I'll reward you. I'll send you a photo, a signed 9 by 12 enlargement of Joe Biden in tights. The documentary is titled Gossip, and right now, to go along with it, I'll tell you some of my so far untold bits of gossip. Woody Allen, he will not ride through a tunnel. His driver will go miles out of the way to avoid going through any tunnel. Lawrence Fishburne, he will do a burn if you dare call him Larry. He insists on the whole name Lawrence. In the old days of big-time movie sirens, we had Betty Grable, beautiful, blonde, buxom, star of big films like How to Marry a Millionaire, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. She passed on at age 56. But for her 50th birthday... What she desperately wanted, she told me. She said, I want a five-day sail across the ocean with a different man to service me each night. Listen, I don't know whether she got that or not, but I do admit the idea beats just buying a blouse. And while I'm talking about the old days, the very first big name on our very first big days of my very first big invention called television was a comedian back then named Milton Berle. Milton Berle waxed rhapsodic one day, extolling to me the greatness of family. On the air, he told me, forget all this fame and money. What really means something to me are my grandchildren, Arthur and Phillips. Phyllis. When he finished, his wife Ruth called and said, Listen, stupid, your grandchildren are named Gloria and Bernie. (laughs) Okay, I got more of this stuff. But on to my guests, the world's most famous soap star, Susan Lucci, and from Broadway's coming show, Diana the Musical, Roe Hartranf, who plays Prince Charles. But first, a station break. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. My friend, gorgeous Susan Lucci, for a lifetime, played the glamorous vixen character Erica Kane on ABC's Forever Soap, All My Children. In my household, everything stopped to watch Susan Lucci on All My Children. After over 10,000 episodes, it too is now over. Susan, how how does a daily TV soap work? I mean, you filmed every day. or, or do, do you knock off a whole week's worth in a day? How did it work? 
Oh, that's so... Hi, Cindy. First of all, hi. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, yeah, it, you know, the, the way we've shot things over the course of time, but um, basically we used to shoot for many years from beginning to end as if it were actually a play live uh, with dress rehearsal and change of costumes and hair, all of that, running the whole time. And then we, we after that, we we started shooting in, in groups of sets and... Uh, we would shoot more than one show a day, but the hours were all the same. I mean, we started uh, at seven o'clock in the morning, and basically we were there till we till we finished it because the next day we were going to go back in and shoot another show. So the schedule was uh, kind of relentless, but it was necessary to you know to shoot that kind of volume. Yes, but but how do you memorize? Two days worth of shows. How does it work? Do you go home and and you memorize or what? Well, I mean, it varies. I, I my usual way was we would get our scripts about a week ahead of time, and I would set aside several hours, probably on a Sunday afternoon, uh, sometime over the weekend, and just read. And uh, I would commit to memory. I had about an hour and a half commute in the morning, and I would commit to memory then. I would really memorize, uh, sit in the back of the car and just read. And I just basically lived with my script because Erica was a very busy character, so there were a lot of scenes to memorize and uh, happy to do it. But it did take – it was a process, and it really took um, – you know, I was living with it. I had lunch with my script. I had my script behind the set and just studying till the last minute because I didn't want to miss anything. Uh, the, the part was so wonderfully written and I didn't want to miss any of the, you know, the nuance or any of the meanings of what I was going to go out and portray. It's kind of like a thing. You need to be in touch with a lyric. You know, you need to know what you're doing. On Broadway shows, they always had people in the wings uh, giving you a line if you forget. Did they do that as well? No, no, they didn't. Um, in the very, in the very, very beginning, they um, they had uh, teleprompters, what they call teleprompters, when we began in 1970, and so some of the crew who. Would, they would be hiding behind chairs or large pieces of furniture on the set with a <laughs> teleprompter with the scripts on it. But I'll tell you, um, I never. I never could use it. I think some of the more senior members of the cast were used to it and they could do that. But I just felt like I had to look at the person in the eyes who I was talking to and I needed to, um, you know, play the scene, you know, not just remember the words. So that was, you know, it, it just depended. It depended on the whatever process worked for you, you know. We, so we I all loved it. We, I mean, my housekeeper used to stop, not that she was doing anything usually anyway, but she always stopped <laughs> to watch and and listen to you. Did you did you take Thank extra you. time then for clothes and fittings besides memorizing? Yes, yes, uh, yes. There were there were fittings. It was, I mean, you know, we were on roller skates the whole time. <laughs> That's just the truth of it. Um, and yet, and yet, you know, I loved what I did. I love what I do. So that's what was you know, asked of us, and that's what we did. And again, for me, doing the fittings was kind of like being a kid in a candy store because, I mean, the Erica's wardrobe was spectacular. It was fun. You know, it was fun for me. Did you keep anything from the show? Any of the schmatas oh. or anything? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I did. And I wish I had kept some of the props. 
Um, for example, there was this fabulous when Erica opened her disco. I had this fabulous um, little T-shirt, but what was fabulous is that it had my name in lights across the chest, but they were little tiny light bulbs, and there was this wire with something that went down my leg into my shoe, and every time I would take a step or dance on the dance floor, because it was a disco, um, then this Erica would flash. These little light bulbs across my chest would just flash, <laughs> Erica, Erica. And, you know, I didn't, I guess I just didn't know. You know, we were like shot out of a cannon. We were going to come back and do another show the next day, so it didn't occur to me. But in retrospect, I wish I had. I kept the little French maid costume for a while where Erica disguised herself as a French maid in a Paris hotel room to surprise her boyfriend, who she was really mad at. Uh, and there was this fabulous Bridget Bardot blonde wig, long blonde hair and bangs. It was so beautiful. I loved it. And I loved being that blonde. I had never been blonde. So I just loved it. But uh, I kept that for a little while. But then I did... Uh, uh, give it up for auction to a charity. Did you tape your show and then watch it yourself so you would see how you looked? I didn't. You know, first of all, the next day when the show was airing, for example, um, we were doing another show. So it's not like I could watch it live. Occasionally when I wasn't working, I would try and tune in a little bit just to see a little bit. But I don't know. You've probably heard this from other actors. I mean, I found it very difficult to watch myself. I hated watching myself. And I made myself in the beginning, after about 10 episodes, watch myself because I knew I had a lot to learn. I mean, it was my first professional job. And on television, I had done, not done anything on television. I had just got out of, got out of college. So I, um, I would do it just to... I saw that in the very, very beginning, I looked down a lot. And, and that wasn't as... Uh, great a great habit to be in for people who are watching to see what's going on in your mind. and, and uh, It's painful. Saying, so. It's painful. I have done television. I have done movies. Oh, you know that. It's awful. It's painful. It, you can see every hair coming out of your chin or every other stupid <laughs> thing. I mean, I know it's exactly. awful. <laughs> it's awful. And your mannerisms. I mean, we're not aware of, of how we laugh or how we smile. And playing Erica, when I would watch, I thought, wow, I look so sneaky, you know, wonder I'm playing <laughs> okay now 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 you must tell me and the audience the famous front page headline story of you finally getting an Emmy after 19 years I mean I can't believe the story tell me the story oh thank you for asking Cindy it was a wonderful story and uh, certainly a night I will never forget uh, well as you said it was my 19th nomination and every year um it was just amazing to me that the press and the, the fans were rooting for me, and I was very touched by that. But I tried not to get whipped into a frenzy. But I will tell you, the night of the Emmys, I was whipped into a frenzy. It was my 19th nomination. They were being held that year at Madison Square Garden. Almost, well, every other time they were held at, um, at Radio City. But that Radio City was under uh, renovation, so we were, it was at the Garden. So we went into the Garden. I was seated in the front row. And as I, I was seated, uh, Rosie O'Donnell was to my left and my husband, Helmet, was to my right. So I sat down, and the first thing that happened is that Rosie O'Donnell leaned over, and she said, Susan, when you go up on stage tonight to win – let me take your evening bag because otherwise you'll hear your name. You'll, you'll stand up. You'll 
step all over your purse and that will be pretty and it'll be very awkward. So I will take your bag. And I said, Rosie, that is so nice of you, but you know, history has taught me I'm not going up there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Anyhow, when it came time for um, my category, Actress uh, in a Daytime show, um, Shamar Moore was presenting. And who, who? Shamar Moore, okay. handsome, wonderful actor, okay. uh, Shamar Moore. So he, he was opening, he was going to say who what. So he was on stage, as I said, it was at the garden. And so he opened the envelope and he very charmingly shouted out, the streak is over, Susan Lucci. Well, when he said the streak is over, I really thought he was announcing playoff scores because of the (laughs) hockey season and basketball. Isn't that nice? He's keeping everybody in the garden up to date on what's going on. And I never heard my name. (laughs) I never heard my name. And the only way that I even knew that I won is because Rosie O'Donnell leaned over and took my evening bag. And uh, my husband helmet picked me up by my, by my elbow and if anybody who who hears this story watched that night, they saw me lean over to my husband and whisper in his ear, "Are you sure?" <laughs> and he said, "Yes," because after you know, after maybe thirteen or fourteen times of not winning and not hearing my name, I I, I think that I went numb. It was maybe a self protective thing, and my biggest fear is that I would just one day just go up. But they, but they said so I wanted to be very sure that it really was me. And when I went up on that stage, oh, my God. What, first of all, I didn't think that I could, I would be able to stand. I could feel my legs just turning to jello. And let alone remember the few things that I kind of allowed myself to think about trying to sleep the night before that people I didn't want to forget. I had to think if on the rare chance that I might win. And I did get up there. And when I turned around and saw the entire audience at Madison Square Garden, so many of them, my, 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 my peers, the people working in this industry on their feet, applauding for me. Um, I, I just, I really thought I would not be able to speak at all. And Oprah stage left, jumping up and down, cheering, and Kelly Ripper in the audience. In fact, if it wasn't for Kelly, I wouldn't have been able to thank all the people I needed to thank. How did you celebrate, by the way, when you finally took this thing? How did you celebrate? Well, um, there was an after party for us. Well, the first thing, and this was the deal that I made with with. Uh, ABC, that what what happens when you win is that they take you backstage and then you go into the press room. And what I did uh, say is that I have to stop for a minute backstage. I have to call, make three quick calls to call my daughter, Liza, who had been watching since she was four years old, this little girl, and now she was 23. I had to call her. She watched every year. She was spectacular daughter and made all these wonderful consolation prizes, she and my son, who I called right after I called my daughter, because they had been watching. I mean, Andreas wasn't even born the first year I was nominated and didn't win, but they would make me the most wonderful consolation prize. And then I called my parents, who uh, were living in Florida, and um, I called them. Where is so the statuette quick- now? Where is it? Physically, it's it's in it's in it's in my living room, center stage on the mantle. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't going to put it on like public display. I was going to keep it in my room. But then um, 
I had the pleasure of being in Marvin Hamlish's apartment uh, and saw all his, I was so thrilled to see his awards and he had many, you know, Tonys and Emmys and Oscars and, uh, and they were prominently displayed. And I thought, you know, they, it is something to be proud of. And so then I brought it down and put it on the mantle in okay. the living room. Susan Lucci, I'm talking to, why did it take this long for you to get the Emmy after 19 shots. Tell me why. Is it political? Is it that they only pick what they liked? What is it? Well, I wish I, I wish I had a, a you know the actual answer, the authentic answer for you. Certainly, it took me 19 times to figure it out. So. Uh, it had been suggested to me that it was political. I never wanted to go there, you know, in my mind, in my heart. I never wanted to believe that. And so, actually, I just kept thinking, well, I need to do better. I need to do better. And what I realized along the way is that it depends very much, I think, on on a lot of elements. Uh, yes, of course, whoever does good acting. And there are so many wonderful actors in that genre, that medium. Um, but it depends on the, the storyline. It depends on all the uh, the ensemble coming together, you know, who's in the scene and how that all works. And everybody has to do good work and the storytelling. Has I to don't be there. think so. I mean, I'm sure all of that goes in with everything. I think there has to be some reason that has never been explained. I just think so. And I I know nothing but everything you're saying sounds great, but it can't be after 19 years. You were Susan Lucci. You were the number one. We watched you every bloody day. All my children oh. was it. You can't tell me it took 19 years for other no talents to win. So what could it possibly be? Help me. I, you know, I, I, I do wish I, I, I had an answer. I, I will say that thank you for what you're saying. And I know that I had a lot of wonderful uh, fans support from people such as yourself in the business, Cindy, who people I respected very much, uh, some of whom did suggest to me that maybe it was political. But I don't know. There was so much work at hand. I didn't know even know how anyone would have time to be political. I didn't get that. And I didn't want to. I just... Uh, I don't I don't really know. I sometimes if I think about it, was it because she was a glamorous character? Uh, was it because there was a lot of humor in in her as well? There was also there was always drama, of course, but it was such a, a, a groundbreaking character. Could it have uh, been jealousy? Because of the number one kind of position that you described? Maybe. Maybe, maybe. I didn't want to go there either, Cindy. I really didn't. But I don't know. You know, the thing okay, is, you just okay, okay. You don't know. What's, where do you go afterwards when you finally get this thing? Where do you go? Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't go home and have a, a ice cream. What, what do you do? <laughs> there was a party and, and we went and ABC threw a big party. And uh, I had about one sip of champagne and the ABC publicist and my husband, who knew that this was coming, said, well, now we have to go home. That's it for you. There's no more champagne. There's no dancing tonight because People Magazine is coming. Uh, at I think they were coming at eight o'clock in the morning to shoot the cover at my house. So I had to go home and, and go to sleep and get up, you know, really early and do hair and makeup and get ready for the shoot. And that's, you know, that's what we did. However, however, uh, I got this key to the city of New York. And I will tell you, there was a lot of celebrating 
that day, although I had to go back to work at the end of getting that that key. But as I went around to to different restaurants, um, oh, I took my crew to lunch at 21 to celebrate. They'd been with me, you know, from from the beginning, too. And, uh, you know, the waiters, they were sent. Well, the management sent over champagne. The waiters were singing. I went to um, serendipity with my daughter and all the waiters upstairs and down were around singing. Uh, congratulations. Uh, I was in the car, finally going home in the back seat of my car, and we stopped at a, a traffic light on Madison Avenue, and a, a big truck of New York City firemen pulled up next to me. How they looked down and saw that I was in there, but this whole truck of New York City firemen leaned down to me and gave me the biggest thumbs up uh, and big grins. So. You, that you, was that was something. Do you know do you know the story about Meryl Streep leaving her Oscar in the ladies' room? No. Meryl Streep, who's won seven thousand Oscars, probably more than any other human being alive, yes. once was given an Oscar, and she went into the can as everybody does because after a few champagnes, where else you're going to go? So she left her <laughs> Oscar. In the can. She left it in the ladies' room and went home. Oh, my. And they had to oh. finally finally find her and give it to her. I'm sure you didn't oh. leave yours in the can. Did you carry I did not. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> did you carry it with you? Do they give it to you in your in your hand? I never won an award. Do do they give it to you oh, in your hand? Oh my god. To schlep um, what they they did eventually it had to go back to them so that they, they could engrave it, but then they got it right back to me. But when I was asked to do a lot of interviews after that, everybody wanted me to bring my Emmy. And so it did travel with me for a while, uh, you know, and people wanted to hold it and they wanted to see what it looked like. And <laughs> what, Well, what do you carry it in, plastic? No, I had a canvas, you know, a bag that I would... Okay. <laughs> like a carry-on. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. You have also done, well, am I not right? Did you not also do Broadway, Susan? I, I did. That was one of the wonderful things that happened uh, soon after winning the Emmy. Uh, so I won the Emmy in May, and in January, I made my Broadway debut in Annie Get Your Gun. Uh, Bernadette Peters won the Tony and a Grammy for that as well she should have. But I got to be the first one to go in after Bernadette Peters. And that was a thrill of a lifetime. Uh, a thrill of a lifetime what to, you, to go in. What do you? What, what did you know about singing? Only that I liked to sing. I had had no formal training at all, but I knew I could sing. I just didn't know if I was good enough. And so... Um, I had I had worked with Marvin Hamlish. I had uh, done some appearances with Marvin on stage and in concert halls around the country. And uh, he had said to me if I ever needed him, that I should just call him. And when the Weislers, Barry and Fran Weisler, uh, the producers of Any Get Your Gun, uh, offered me this part, I wanted to sing for them. I wanted them to know what they were getting into. And I wanted to know that I could do it. Uh, I had been a little girl in Broadway audiences and I knew there would be kids in me. I didn't want people to just watch me play Annie Oakley and think, oh yeah, this is a stunt casting. You know, this, this is, <laughs> you know, girls would have their dreams. So um, anyway, okay. so okay. I was too shy to call Marvin. My husband was not too shy. I 
went to Marvin's apartment one Sunday night and rang his bell, scariest thing I had done. And he was a doll. He turned, he was just a doll. And uh, he listened to me sing and he, he said, oh, you can do this. You can do this. Okay. And you know what mm -hmm. I have to do? They are going to kill me and fire me if I don't stop and do an uh, 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 what do I have to do now? I have the station break. It's they, commercial, right? So that takes care of your entire career, Susan. <laughs> I love, there we are. I love you, and I'll call you later. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Bye. 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 A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Now, Roe Hartranff. Come November 17, he'll open the big-time Broadway extravaganza, Diana the Musical. He plays Prince Charles. What sort of a name is Roe Hart Rapp? <laughs> well, first I have to compliment your pronunciation. Not everybody gets it right the first time. Um, but it's a very long family name. Roe is, is a nickname. It's short for my middle name. Which is? So my full name is Carl Rorig Hartramp the Fourth. Good Lord! How did you get all that? Who were the third and second and first? Who were they? The uh, uh, Carl Senior uh, was an Atlanta native, uh, and then my grandfather uh, Carl Junior was a surgeon in Atlanta as well. And then my father Carl the Third is a sort of a housing expert in the uh, Atlanta area. Well, you're gorgeous, which means sooner or later you're going to have sex with somebody. Are you going to name the kid the fifth or whatever? I just feel like that's a lot of names to lay on one baby, you know what I mean? To give him the, the number five at the end of it, too. I think we'll see when the day comes, but uh, as of right now, I think I think we're, uh, we might move on from the titles of it all. What are you going to call him, Irving? What, what, what yeah. would you call him? Uh, um, Merle. Merle Hartram. <laughs> okay, fine. How did you creep into show business? Um, I was, believe it or not, a really rambunctious kid. And uh, luckily, instead of getting punished for being rambunctious, my parents uh, threw me on stage in the church musicals. So I was doing um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Jonah and the Whale from a young age. And when, uh, when people would laugh, when I would act out and be rambunctious instead of, you know, get angry, that really uh, lit a fire in me and made me want to keep going. Okay. Did you have to audition? I mean, this is such a big job. I mean, the musical, it, we're all waiting for it. And Prince Charles is now so much in the news. Did you have to audition for it? I did, yeah. I'm not at the level right now where things are, are necessarily straight offers at the moment. So <laughs> uh, I was actually living in Los Angeles at the time. I, was, I had a little affair with, with L.A. for a year and a half. And when I was living in L.A., uh, I saw on Instagram that a musical was in the works about Princess Diana, and I sent my agent an email. I said, I think I'd make a good Prince Charles. Why, why before you go further, why would you make a great Prince Charles, I, who I think is nothing? But I don't <laughs> want to say anything. God knows I'm not going to say anything. So since I'm not saying anything, yep. what, would, what is there about you? That would make you think you'd be Prince Charles. I think I've got the, you know, I've got the frame. I've got the long curly hair. I've got, uh, you know, I mean, maybe he's not a broad shouldered guy, but I've got the frame. I've got, I, I look good in a suit and, I, and I've got a great British accent. So I felt like I checked enough of the boxes that. Uh, Let's hear the British accent. Okay. Well, it's a little bit different from your average British accent, right? So it's going to be a little bit of a Charles impression. 
and I ended up watching a lot of Hugh Grant movies to try and get this sort of super posh, um, sort of um, mumbly, fumbly, um, sort of uh, bit of uh, searching, you know, sort of uh, speaking and vocal fry at the, at the bottom. And he, he touches his face quite often, pulls his ears, and, and speaks out of the side it's of his great. mouth. It's great. It's great. Thank it's you. Great. It's great. Thank God you're brighter than he is. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you you auditioned. I did. I, did I, I, had to, I had to make a tape in my bedroom in Los Angeles and then send the video of me singing and doing the scenes as Charles to my agent who sent it to the creative team. My gosh, that's 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 quite a bit. It was a lot. W- weren't you a little scared or, or apprehensive? About- Absolutely. And then the tape went horribly wrong. I couldn't hear my music that I had recorded, so I had to sing all the songs a cappella into my iPhone. And luckily they saw something on the tape that they liked because they asked me to meet with them in person back in New York. So I had to uh, catch a flight uh, from L.A. to New York to audition in person. Bro, I don't know what you were doing then, but you it cost you a lot of money, didn't it, to do all of this? Well, I'll tell you, Cindy, I wasn't doing a lot back then, and it did cost <laughs> me a lot of money to fly from L.A. to New York. Uh, but, you know, it was worth it. It was like, I'm investing uh, in this opportunity. I really want this job. And I had a feeling that I could really impress them. I, I, I felt that I could play the role. So I flew myself out, stayed with a friend, uh, went in for the audition. And a funny story, I was uh, waiting for the audition and everyone else in the waiting room was putting on their dance clothes they put on their ladukas and their tights and their and their you know lululemons or whatever and i'm wearing a full suit with dress shoes as though you were prince charles as though i was prince charles i yes. came in as yes. as the yes. character yes. and i was not ready to dance and so in my audition I, I sang for Chris and the team, and I did the scenes, and they asked me to wait outside for a minute. The cast director comes out, and she goes, Ro, um, can you stick around? We actually have this dance call coming up. And I said, no, listen, I'm not ready to dance. I'm so, I'll split these pants right open. I'm so sorry. They're too tight. And she says, no, 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 we don't want you to dance. Can you, can you go somewhere else and have lunch and come back and see us again after the dance call? So luckily, I did not have to dance on that day because I was not prepared. Um, but they, they had me come back in. I read again, sent me away. I waited about six weeks to get the phone call. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, my, my. And then I, I found out right around my birthday in 2018. So was that five years ago? Now, oh almost oh like four years ago. Did you ever meet him? I've never met him. No. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. Did you study up on him? Did you read about him? I did. There's, the there's a wonderful biography of him that I carried around with me for, you know, must have been months and months, almost a year, just highlighting and circling moments and trying to understand this massive cultural icon as a human being, as opposed to just the person that we see in the news. Okay, I'm talking to Ro Hartranth, who will be playing Prince Charles in Diana the Musical, which opens November 17th. Did you, did you do the scene where he calls Camilla his mistress, now his wife, is Tampax. <laughs> uh, that was not in the show. Oh, that was not in the show. I'm sorry to say. Spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. Oh. That moment is not in our show. Yes, but yes. there was an early draft before I joined the project where that line was mentioned. But it's not. It's in- no longer. It didn't go over so well, I heard. <laughs> what did you study about playing him? I tried to study like... Uh, where he came from, right? His, his sort of experience as a, as a child, which I think was so wonderfully represented on The Crown, um, his experience in military school, and coming up with so much pressure of of having to uh, meet appearances and expectations as the heir to the British throne. Do they offstage, I mean, to keep you in, in 
continuity? Did they ever call you Your Highness or something <laughs> like that? I've, I've specifically instructed everyone to not call me Your Highness. They can call me Sir, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> nice of you. Nice. You're gorgeous. I mean, Prince Charles is not gorgeous. He he's is he's absolute, a handsome man. I'm he's telling not you. gorgeous. Cindy, back in no, the day. he's not. When he got out of military school, he was fit. He was looking good. Right when he met Diana, he was really looking good. There's tons of shirtless photos. I'll send you an email. Yeah, well, 20 years ago, I also looked good. So leave me alone. What is your take on how the British royals will feel about this particular performance. You know, I, who's to say how anybody's going to feel about our show? I, I can't speak to exactly how they're going to respond, but I, I hope that they realize that we're trying to present this show from a very human standpoint and that we are uh, big fans of everyone involved. There's, there's no villains in our show. Everyone is given their due. And each of us who are playing these iconic people try to understand each one as a human and, and their motivations. Oh, you know, your story is making me nervous. I'm, forget <laughs> about you. What is your take about when the show folded? What, first of all, tell me, how did you learn the show was folding? So we were in the middle of previews and we sort of had a sense that things were going to change. Uh, the week before we shut down, they stopped allowing us to have guests backstage. So no no strangers, no new people backstage. And it was a, a big deal for me because my mother had flown to New York from Atlanta oh, with her oh, entire oh. group of girlfriends. Her book club had all come oh, to New York, oh. and they were very disappointed to not get the tour. Uh, so we knew something was up. And then the day that it was going to shut down, we came to rehearsal and were told that Beth Williams, our, our lead producer, was going to be at a meeting of the Broadway League where they were going to decide what to do. So all of us were at rehearsal, checking our phones, trying to see what was going on. And I think the news broke before the meeting really wrapped that it was going to be a full shutdown sent home. So Beth came back to the theater and gave us a very lovely emotional speech about how passionate she was about bringing our show back, which made us all feel much better. And she told us we were going to be gone for two weeks. Oh. So that we would be home for two weeks and then we would come back and rehearse for two more weeks and reopen a month later. And here we are in uh, October of 2021. A century later. What exactly. did you do in the meantime from eating money? Uh, I went back to bartending. So I've been I've been bartending at a restaurant through the pandemic, um, and it's been uh, a challenge, but it's also been Prince Charles bartending. That's right. I make a mean martini. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So if the show is lousy, which it won't be, it'll be an enormous hit. Massive. You're going to go back to swizzling gin. Listen, there's always there's always brunch. I can always work a brunch somewhere. Okay. Okay. How different will it be? Now that you're reprising it, reprising it, whatever the hell the word is, how how what changes have been made? So I think that that Joe and David, our our book writer and our composer, actually took great advantage of this downtime and the fact that we had not opened, so that the script was not locked, and took the time to rework what they felt like were maybe moments of the show that could move quicker or or be more clear. And so they completely rewrote the top of our show. The first twenty minutes. If anyone listening came to see the show in previews in 2020, the first 20 minutes of our show are completely different than they were back then. And I think it works better to jump us into the action and get us moving uh, into um, this incredible story. Is there I, I don't know what to ask about this because I'm I'm terribly Broadway conscious. But if there are kissing scenes on stage and there are hugging scenes and you're singing into one another's throat, how does this work now with the C V pandemic? I think that it takes a lot of, of trust. You know, our our producers have uh, required everyone in the cast to be vaccinated and if they're not gonna be vaccinated they have to be tested every day. 
And then we, even if we are vaccinated, are going to be going through uh, COVID protocols of testing. I believe it's going to be twice a week or there's going to be it's not clear yet what exactly is going to be required. But there will be constant testing, mask wearing, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that once we get on stage, we just have to trust each other and trust the science that that we're going to be safe and, and do the show uh, as written, you know, as as it can be best performed. Do you think he will like your performance? You know, I think he would. I think he would. I'm not sure he's going to watch it. I, I don't know that I would want to watch someone dressing in my clothes and, and singing a song about my life, but I, I think he would. I, I hope that he would understand that I'm approaching this almost as a, as a fan. You know, I, I think that he's an incredible, remarkable person, and I want to tell his story to Broadway audiences. Oh, your story has really touched my heart. <laughs> oh, yeah, please. I'm going to throw up with this thing. Okay. <laughs> Do you ever get make a mistake and, and go out with a British accent and speak in a British it, what's It's funny. When, you, when I spend time with, with British people, I, I have uh, my cousin's wife is British, and when I spend time with her and her friends, it is really hard to not go into the accent that I've practiced so diligently because they're speaking it to me and I often worry that that would be insulting if I were to just pair it back to them like oh would you like to go dancing this evening <laughs> dancing is it yes of course we'll go dancing then has he have you made any attempt to meet him or have you sent any note to him I, I haven't you know I I but first of all, I respect the man's privacy. You know, oh, he's yeah. he's oh. he's in the news all day oh. long. He doesn't Doing want nothing. He doesn't want what a letter. Does he do? He's Doing a busy nothing. man. He's a busy man. Have you ever heard about the Prince's Trust? No, but his yes, charitable organization is yes, a I, wonderful oh, God, program. You're going to bore me. Go ahead. <laughs> Hurry up and make it quick. Go ahead, the charitable trust is an incredible yeah, program know, that Prince Charles yeah, started in the seventies to produce sort of micro loans for underprivileged youth in the UK to develop business opportunities. And it's really great. Everyone should go research it. I think he's a fascinating person. Yeah, that's so so absolutely wonderful. I'd like to know what's so wonderful about Prince Charles. You are gorgeous. You are handsome. Thank you, Cindy. You are exquisite. The show will be absolutely drop-dead fabulous. We're all waiting for it. What's so great about Prince Charles? Uh, honestly, I think he's a fascinating person. He's he is super intelligent. I think he really cares about the British people. I think he cares about England as a nation, the Commonwealth as a, as a network. And I think he cares about tradition in a way that can be off-putting to people who are interested in, in new ah, opportunities. Well, story has really touched my heart. Wait, now you have a song here. What is the song? We're going to hear your song. What What is the song you brought? So we brought um, the song called The World Fell in Love, which is uh, a pivotal moment in our show. It's right after the wedding. When Diana is taken out on her first public appearance in the nation of Wales, Charles feels very confident because he was crowned in Wales. He's the prince of Wales. He feels a connection to those people. And then Diana steals the show. Everyone loves Diana. And Charles is, is sort of shocked and hurt that uh, Diana has taken the spotlight. Can you sing? I can sing. <laughs> Biologically, yes. <laughs> can you actually <clears throat> sing a little? You know, uh... Cindy, yes. <laughs> at the moment, I don't know that I'm going to be presenting myself the best to sing live so on Air for WWE. No, no not it? today. I don't think I can sing today. You know, the the rates these days are very. The Broadway rates are very high. I'd have to speak to my manager about what you know what, what the what the bill I'm would never be like. Speak to you again, never. I never. hope that's not true. I hope that's not true. <laughs> okay, we're going to play your song, and I love you dearly, and I love you dearly, and thank you for coming. I know November 17, I'm going to be named the theater, the Longacre Theater. I will be 
their opening night, but we should also let you know. Tell us about the movie. Tell yes. us about the movie. So we were lucky enough to have an opportunity to film our show on stage uh, during the pandemic, and Netflix has taken it on. is going to debut our show before we go live on Broadway, the first time this has ever been done. The world debut of Diana the Musical is going to be on Netflix October 1st. And tell me about Jenna. She plays uh, Diana. Gina plays Diana. Gina. Gina is unbelievable. She is such an incredible talent. And the way that she has taken on this role has been so incredible to watch. Uh, we've been doing this project for about four years. And she has been the the incredible professional with unbelievable empathy for Diana. Oh, everybody's incredible. She's incredible. I'm telling you. Oh, for God's sake. Meantime, did you get paid while you were off? Uh, We got got, uh, paid uh, a a severance from uh, the producer, which was very thoughtful of them. And incredible. And And incredible and and wonderful and interesting and fascinating. (laughs) And uh, we did get a little bit of money from the producers. But then after that, it was, you know, whether you wanted to uh, take the unemployment benefits or, or, or not, you know, so after that, it was up to Uncle Sam. Okay. So I don't think I should actually tell Prince Charles to get the hell off, but I had enough of you. Get off from me and go watch the show when it opens. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. Our first official appearance. A week on Sunday, yes. And you're certain I'm ready? Now, now, it's all set. We shall present you in Wales. But what exactly will be expected of me? All will be fine. Just move down the line. Excessive display of emotion is rude. Show your smile. But just for a while. I've never been so nervous. Never let any feelings intrude. So go with Windsor fortitude. lesson I gave you? Not a word. Um, hello. Um, I'm Diana. I hardly know what I'm doing. I'm just glad to be with you. Sharing handshakes, hearing stories. What a lovely thing to do. Just like that, they fell in love, all of Wales, they fell in love, and with joy, joy. undreamed of, all of Wales, they fell in love. Her press coverage is extraordinary. She hardly knows what she's doing. But she does it awfully well She's a natural 
They adore them. As for me, hard to tell. I was wondering if some of you might say hello to my husband. He adores Wales. I was crowned in this country. How that day lives in me. Here I flourish. Here my heart lies. Here in Wales I feel most free. Tell me thanks for all you do. But right now you're blocking our view. Step aside, let the lady through. I learned their language, served their country. Over here, Princess Di. Loved my subjects, played my part. I want to catch your eye. Learn a preschool helper with no training. Steals away. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Before I go off, one story. It happened in East Hampton. One actress wouldn't acknowledge her recent plastic surgery. It was at some hotshot party. One of the guests nearby sniffed. How do you like that? She's lifting my new nose at me. Bye. Talk to you next week. Same time. Same station. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.